Do, 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 do. Hey, here we go. My name's Todd. This is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 516. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding on a Monday morning? I do. Which is when we're taping it, which is probably why my voice sounds a little like Martin Short from Three Amigos. Remember that part? No. Where he goes, what is he talking about? It's really funny. Okay, nobody three gets that. Three Amigos should be a pop culturing, sweetie. No, I don't want to do Three Amigos. For if we're doing culture. Pretty in Pink, we have to do Three Amigos, and we got to tape Planes, Trains, and Automobiles because for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving's coming up. It's coming up. Yeah, it's we, a month we, away. We got a month. We haven't even done like next week's pop culturing versus, but you know, your hair is another thing. We are recording uh, Pretty in Pink later this morning. Correct. Stay tuned for that. That'll be on tomorrow. Yeah, that'll be pop culturing for tomorrow. That's right. Um, or no, wait, that'll be pop culturing for Wednesday. Yeah, and today is Tuesday. Correct, because we're taping on a Monday, but we have to pretend it's a Tuesday. Sweetie, you're being inauthentic right now. <laughs> you're telling everybody what day it is, even though it's a different day. I want to say thanks to Yoga by Degrees. I talked about them last week. They are sponsoring our Zen Parenting Conference, but they have something special going on. They're holding a fam, a fall family yoga on this Saturday at 2 o'clock in Elmhurst. 20 bucks for up to four family members. Yeah. And they're also doing a kids series that starts November 7th. So go to their website. I think that fall family series is is like a kickoff for the kids series. Like, you know, everybody can come in and the kids can see what it's about and then come on their own. And their website is yogabydegrees.net. Mm-hmm. I'm so there all the time. Thank you for thank you for uh, supporting our, our conference sponsor. Thank you for just being a yoga studio that I go to. Always. Yes. Um, and uh, the Tribe Men's Group, I'm always trying to give a quick shout. I'm, I'm, I've shifted my, uh, my targeting a little bit, and I'm oh really asking the women who listen to this show to pass along that I have a Tribe Men's Group website called tribemensgroup.org, because we have a special guest coming up on a virtual meeting, Tony Porter. Not quite sure when. December. It might be November. Oh, okay. I'm talking about the tribe thing. I'm He's going to be on Zen Parenting Radio, though, we're, too. We're going to get some Tony Porter action. Yeah. So, yes, it's going to be wonderful. So, anyways, I'm just passing that along. So, And Tony Porter is one of our uh, keynotes for the Zen Parenting Conference. And, by the way... Um, and he talks about healthy masculinity and He's how the C- to CEO of a call to men. Yes. And how to raise healthy boys. Yeah. Um, but we, uh, early bird special ends the first of November, which is in like a week and a half. If I had a, a sound effect that says like, tick, 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 like on 60, like 60 minutes, minutes, I don't have that though. Well, and this is, I say this every year, but I don't know why people wait until the month before if they, they know like it's spending coming. more money. I know it doesn't make any sense to me, but you know. As long as you're coming, yeah, whatever works. When in Rome, when in Rome. <laughs> what, what were you just doing? The when in Rome thing. Uh, you said when, when in Rome. When in Rome, because both of us came down in robes the other day <laughs> when our good girls were getting ready for school, and they kind of made fun of us. Well, I would too. It's so worthy of being made fun of. I robes, robes. Are robes an old person thing? Yes, and. The but only, I used to wear a robe when I was in high school. Well, I kind of feel like it skips a generation. Like yes, it does. When you're little, you wear a robe, yeah. and then you stop wearing a robe. And then you get old and cold. I'm you know, cold in the morning. You're cold and old. <laughs> I'm cold and old. <laughs> and I don't want to change clothes, because I get up, 
And I know I'm going to go to yoga, but I don't want to get on all my yoga clothes before I go downstairs. Yeah, because you're just wearing a t-shirt and underwear and when you're sleeping. Well. So why get dressed? You know. Just to kind of. You're wearing pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like you just. Because let me tell you something about Kathy. <laughs> she, her body, first of all, is amazing. <laughs> oh, thanks. But second of all, <laughs> it's. From a temperature standpoint, uh -huh. it's a very curious system of things that are happening. Because first of all, you'll talk to me as if it's like new information. Like sometimes when you're angry at a certain politician. A certain one? As if I don't know what you're talking about. But her feet will be cold. Her knees will be hot. Her head will be warm. And you will. And then and then everything will flip flop. And then. And then you have the blanket on, and then you'll turn the fan on, and then you'll turn the heat on. Sometimes you have the heater on in the basement, Correct. which is a little bit colder. Yes, yes. But you'll have the fan on at the same time. But the fan is not to cool. The fan is to keep the air moving. I don't like rooms where there's no air moving. How about this? Sometimes we have the air conditioner on yes. in the house. Correct. But you have the heater on in the basement. Can you understand how Thrifty McSaves a well, lot thinks that's weird? Let me explain that. Because the basement, I am in a cement block down here. Yeah. So... It's cold, even in the summer. Do I really turn the heat on in the summer? Yes. Huh. That's a strange thing. It's hanky. It's hanky. Um, but anyway. All right. Um, so I'm sure we got some other things that we we'll want to promote, but let's get into- Maybe we'll give away robes at the conference that say ZPR. <laughs> Maybe we'll show up in robes. Yes. I, let's do that. Let's do that. Yes. That would it just have a little logo. Yeah. ZPR. Team Zen. That we'd be so comfortable. Team Zen. Um, zero pressure, 100% support. It's better than Spanx and heels. Yes. I don't wear Spanx or heels. Actually, I don't. I make sure I don't wear Spanx at the conference. Actually, that's not true. Sometimes on Friday night I do, but I try not to wear Spanx at the conference because I'm in that outfit for like nine hours. When were Spanx invented? Like the name brand Spanx? Is it in the 90s? I was in the 90s, but... So the, what did girls do in the 80s? They, we still had that. It just wasn't as good of a creation. That like was it my was my question. Like what, what was special about Spanx? Uh, I think just it's... Comfort? Comfort. Comfort level and but they're not the, comfortable. the versatility, like what we had to do before was kind of create Spanx. Like when we would wear nylons, it always had kind of a control top. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you wouldn't want to wear nylons, but you'd want the control top. So you'd cut the legs off your nylons yeah. and just wear the control top. But then the nylons would roll up your legs because it wasn't made to stick to your legs. Yeah. So there was a lot of like work being done. And sometimes you have... Um, areas that you want to maybe tighten up, tighten up that are a little higher or, you know, around your chest. I will or... never forget when I saw Tina Fey, who looked wonderful being interviewed by David Letterman. And she and she stripped down into basically her underwear uh -huh. and her just Spanx. showed how much work yeah. she had to do. And her body looked different when, you know. Of course. It, she had a normal woman's body, right. as all women do. You guys have this, I'm like blaming you, you guys have this idea in your head that women like come yeah. out with like these, and there are women, I have a few friends they're, who do have bodies right, but like they're that. outliers. They, they are. And a lot of it is genetics. Like I'm thinking one of my girlfriends and, you know, she, like her mother is identical to the way she is. Yeah. And, and I think that after you've had children, yeah. that your body is just very different and it's not bad. It's not like, oh, it's gone to hell. It just is different. Yeah. Like you can't carry humans in your body and and have it bounce and back. have it become look like it did when you were 17. Nor do I think it should. Like I've really, uh, uh, you know, and again, this is like a whole nother topic for a for a podcast. But 
coming to peace with how you have been. Like one of my biggest um, like awarenesses is how my body really is the same. This is going to sound funny and let me clarify as it was when I was 17. And what I mean, obviously it's different and I weigh more and it's more stretched out. But what I mean is that I was challenged by the same things at 17 Mm. as I am now. So I realize I've never, it's not about age. It's not about stretching out or it's not, it's like we've been brainwashed that we're supposed to look a certain way. And even when I did, I didn't know it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's, that's all. Well, and I would probably say, and you know, I feel like, you know, this is a rabbit hole, but you know, I think guys have a certain body self image. Yeah. And, um, we will look on ourselves right now in 2019 and, you know, there's a part of me that wishes I had a six pack or I was, is there a part of you like that? Sure. Of course. Or I wish that they, my arms were bigger and stronger. Like it's the whole male ego thing. Okay. Okay. But then 10 years from now, I'll look back at a picture of me right in this moment and be like, oh my God, look how good you looked. Right. But yet we will choose not to be happy in the moment. We will delay that gratification to some unknown day that will never happen. Correct. And just be miserable. Well, and those are my, I have two memories. One of being 17 on spring break, my senior year in high school. And I have a picture of myself and thinking to myself, I shouldn't be wearing a bikini. And I look at the picture and I'm like, oh my God. And then another memory is being in Mexico with you and your family. Mm -hmm. And this, we weren't even married yet. And feeling similarly, like I think I had a tankini on or something and thinking, oh, I just want to wear a cover up. I don't. And I look at that picture and I'm like, you had no idea. And that's and to your point, that's how it continues on is we just don't have an appreciation. It's funny. This rolls into what we're talking about today, which is self-compassion. It does. It does. It's perfect. And so. This is why I wanted to that Todd and I wanted to discuss this is last week. Um, our friend Diane was kind enough to invite us to um, a Moms Demand Action meeting. Um, to we actually are part of that organization anyway, but she invited us to speak on a panel. Um, with We're Jody. usually attendees, but this time we got invited yeah. to be on a panel. It was a panel about um, uh, masculinity and it's that that connection to guns. Yeah. yeah, and it was kind of a it was a wide net, meaning we had to talk about a lot of things and how we get to the place where masculinity plays a role in guns. Like, and I know a lot of people who were listening were like, why are we talking about how we treat a boy when he's crying? And why are we talking about what men are like in the workplace? And you really have to to have a wide lens to understand how we get to the place where a man feels like his gun is a protection or going to solve his problems. And I'm, and I'm not saying that men are the only ones with guns, but statistically it's, it's pretty significant. So this is what we, and something that I threw out there during the conversation that I didn't feel like we got to explain completely. And that was the difference between self-esteem and self-compassion. I know that we've talked about, um, self-compassion on this show before. I probably in the first year we did Zen Parenting Radio because Kristen Neff has a whole research. um, All of her research has been based around self-compassion. And that is the research that Brene Brown used to write her books about vulnerability. So a lot of this I know has been discussed and is mainstream, but Todd and I wanted to go a little deeper. So first of all, to compare and contrast self-esteem to self-compassion. Self-esteem is what you and I grew up with. That was the big push in the 80s, um, maybe even Stuart, earlier than that. Stuart Sw- Smalley stuff? Well, a little bit. I think that is the obviously the parody of it, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't so... 
um, I mean, that's always been difficult for me because what he's doing in the mirror is what's called affirmations. And affirmations are helpful. Mm -hmm. It's just when they're used in isolation or it's kind of like someone thinking the secret and putting a picture of a car on their bulletin board is somehow going to bring them that car. Right. It's not the only thing that works. Right. It's But affirmations can change your mood. Right. But Stuart Smalley was kind of the parody. Do you want to hear a piece of Stuart sure, Smalley? I just want to curl up and lay in bed all day and eat fig newton. By the way, he's talking to Michael Jordan. <laughs> I know this one. Well, something like that. Right. Well, Michael, those negative thoughts are your critical inner voice saying those things to you, and I want to replace those negative thoughts with something positive, a daily affirmation. Affirmation? Yes. Now look in the mirror. Come on. Don't look at me. Only you can help you. That's it. Say, hello, Michael. Hello, Michael. (laughs) I don't have to be a great basketball player. I don't have to be a great basketball player. I don't have to dribble the ball fast or throw the ball into the basket. I don't have to dribble the ball fast or throw the ball in the basket. Because all I have to do is be the best Michael I can be. All I have to do is be the best Michael I can be. Because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, And doggone it, people like me. Because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Oh, Michael. That's good. So he that doesn't have is, to dribble the ball fast. So there's nothing wrong with self-esteem, but obviously they make fun of it because it gets inflated. Well, no, that's that's affirmations. Oh, that's, that's affirmations. That's a piece of self-esteem, but the whole the concept of self-esteem is that you have to. How do I say this? Um, it, it, how we measure ourselves is against others, other people. Okay. So. We don't feel good about ourselves unless we have somehow won, um, demonstrated ourselves to be better, um, been the one who wins, uh, been the one who... So we're constantly trying to um, judge ourselves based on what other people are doing, which we can't, you know, we have to be better than the other people in some way. So it doesn't leave a lot of room for collaboration. It doesn't leave a a lot of room for even sometimes empathy Mm -hmm. because we have a win at all costs. And think about the self-esteem movement and how it connects to, you know, because you and I love movies. Like, think about all the movies from the 80s. You know, you're either the winner or the loser. You're either, you you know, you're either number one or you're nothing, you know, like Revenge of the Nerds to Karate Kid. to That was what we grew up with. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to be number one. Don't you think movies are still the same way? Similar, similar, but I think they're more nuanced now. I think we see characters in their whole. Yeah, you see the the bad guys showing elements of goodness and the heroes, like Karate Kid, right. the YouTube thing, the Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai is totally Johnny different. Johnny is really likable, and sometimes Daniel is unlike Correct. So anyways. So we are more like the 2000s was like the anti-hero Sopranos. Yeah. And then now we're kind of finding this balance of like Big Little Lies, where you have women who 
are all the things right. they are. And they're not necessarily trying to be better than each other. They're just trying to live with each and other. They're flawed and they're right. beautiful. And, right. and I'm talking about on the inside. Right. Like they're really lovely people, people that have some baggage who make some really poor choices yeah. in the moment. Oh, Renata. Um, so anyway, so that is what we grew up with and that's self-esteem and, and, affirmations are connected to yeah. that in in some ways. Sure. Um, but what self-compassion is, is a completely different thing. And I think that sometimes when people think about self-compassion, they think it means self-pity. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't at all. Like people say, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. That's not what self-compassion is at all. Yeah. Self-compassion is actually the ability to be with yourself in a moment and to treat yourself as you would someone that you care about. Mm-hmm. And someone that you care about, hopefully you're not pitying them. I'm not a, the whole idea of pity and feeling sorry for somebody is really can be a destructive action. For both people. Well, definitely for the person receiving it. I think the person who is giving it is actually being very closed off. Yeah, right. Um, Kristen Knapp, I'm on our website. Uh Are you open to riffing the three elements of self-compassion? Yeah, absolutely. Number one, self-kindness versus self-judgment. And you've already kind of been talking about that. Yeah. But. Well, before you, like Todd said, these, what Kristen Neff found is she did, she her story is, if you haven't seen her TED Talk, I show it every year to my college class, is that she was really struggling, um, going through a divorce, I believe, um, and was having a hard time. And she went ended up going to a yoga class where a yoga teacher actually said something to the effect of, you know, treat yourself like you would a friend or, or be kind to yourself. And she had never, and again, I think there's people listening right now who have never heard that. I think it's a wonderful tool. I was actually just talking to a buddy of mine who was struggling with something and I'd be like, dude, if I said the exact same thing to you that you're saying to me, what would you say to me? And he's like, oh, I'd tell you to not worry about it. I'd tell you to go easy on yourself. I tell you, I love you. And I'm like, we'll just replace me with you. Exactly. And we've got all this neurobiology, though, this neural hardwiring that keeps us from doing that. We're we're on autopilot to criticize ourselves. And a lot of times that's a inner voice or a running tape that was given to us by our parents, by our coach, by our society, where we really have come to believe that if we are not hard on ourselves, we will somehow fail in life. And, and the difficultness that we put on ourselves, we think, propels us in a direction of being motivated and getting more stuff done. Yet it doesn't. Yet it doesn't. When we are hard on ourselves in such a way where we are, um, you know, shaming mm-hmm. and, you know, beating ourselves up, we actually drain our ability to do things effectively. Right. We actually are taking away from ourselves and causing more of a problem in the long run. Not only are we like, you know, as we all know, shame, um, is, can be very deadly. And, and I mean that literally. And I also just mean to our emotional stability, like it is, um, it it keeps us disconnected from people. It causes us to not feel as if we can accomplish anything or get anything done. It makes us feel different and other. And so, and again, you know, we we could just veer off the track here really quickly. Yep. I want to go back to Kristen Neff, but basically what she, just that moment of having a yoga teacher suggest to her being kind, you know, 
led to her researching self-compassion and the effects. And she found, as you're about to say, these three things are what can help us practice self-compassion. So the first one, which we just talked about a little bit, was self-kindness versus self-judgment. The second one is common humanity versus isolation. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that? So can we, I'm sorry, can we go back to self-kindness for a second? You kind of already said the, um, you know, you said to your friend who is being hard on himself, you know, what would you say to me, which really is the trick. Um, But it's also recognizing, like, and as soon as I talk about self-kindness, I always put my hand on my heart, like recognizing that you are no different than any other humans, Mm -hmm. that making a poor choice or saying something that wasn't kind, um, it happens to the best of us and that those kind of things can be corrected, meaning we can apologize, we can choose to not continue that behavior, we can be gentle on ourselves and our ability to put our hand on our heart and be gentle on ourselves allows us and gives us the space to create the change we want to. Yeah, and I would say like... It starts with the foundation and, you know, hopefully this is going to make sense, but we tend to think that if we're hard on ourselves, we will get further faster. Right. And maybe that's an e- a vehicle of the ego. Well, like that is the ego kind of playing tricks on you. Like, hey, if you start being kind to yourself, you're going to get soft and, and lazy com- and complacent mm-hmm. and lazy. And this go, you know, kind of to your point, sweetie, is like we can be all over the place, but, um, there, there needs to be an element of surrender. Like this is, this is an acceptance of where I am because when you don't accept, you resist. Absolutely. And when you resist, it puts up an unconscious block in our ability to get the very things that we want to get done to get done. Well, and we, you know, it's everything we ever talk about on this show is we really think that fear and shame and guilt create change, but yes, they don't. Exactly. So if you listen to this show and you have recognized that making your child afraid of you or shaming your child isn't effective, which I hope by now you've realized that that doesn't really change their behavior. Mm-hmm. It may shift what they're doing in the moment, but in the long run, it just causes internal pain. If you believe that with your child, it's the same with yourself. You know what I mean? Like your shaming of yourself is also not supporting your growth. Yeah. And what we're all looking for is a sense of, you know, and we often, I really do believe that self-compassion, just by definition of the word self-compassion is, is, is a start, but I do believe we need to connect to others to feel the validation and the normalization, but we can start with ourselves. You know, we may need someone else to see us and hear us, but we can start with, you know, one of the things that can lead to other people wanting to see us, hear us, be around us is our own self-compassion where we're not ridiculous to be around. Because, and when I say ridiculous to be around, sometimes really non-compassionate people um, can be hard to be in the room with because not only are they hard on themselves, but they tend to, if that's what they use for their, on themselves, they tend, that tends to be their modus operandi. I know we're talking a lot about self-compassion, but uh-huh. I, because we obviously talk about parenting, um, if you're a non-compassionate parent, mm-hmm. and I don't mean like in general, but you have a moment of non-compassion and maybe you just touched on this, but I feel like it's worth kind of like reinforcing and repeating when you use punishment or punitive measures because you're not happy with something your kid is doing, I, I need to be very clear. 
that works in the short term. Like you can get in the your, moment. Mm-hmm. You can, and so I just I don't feel like we talk about that enough. You can get your kid to jump. You can get your kid to get an A on a test. You can get your kid to clean their room. Maybe you could get them to get an A on their test. Maybe right because they still have to go. But in maybe and then they're going to cheat to get that A, oh, or they're going right. to cram for right. their test to get that A, and they're not really going to love learning. So I just want to say. Because some some men might say to me, no, dude, I I do punish my kids because there's no other way to motivate them. And all I'm saying is, can you get a little bit more open, a little bit more curious about doing something different than what you're used to doing? Because um, in the long run, there's baggage that you that you're handing down to your kid when you do use these types of... And you're disconnecting yourself from Correct. your kid. It's very similar to drinking and weed and all these things we talk about is when we say to our kids, it's bad and you'll hate it and it's bad for you and then they try it and it feels like, good. Like, wait a second, mom told me this felt bad. <laughs> right. I was just listening to a whole podcast about this very thing about how for so many people when they when they try it and they have been, uh, you know, I'm putting this in quotes, but like lied to that it's the most horrible thing in the world, they're like, wait a second... And so we can say to ourselves, drinking can actually feel good and it can alleviate my anxiety and it can, you know, make me have fun and decrease my inhibition and all this thing that I'm looking for. But then what's the long-term effect of drinking a lot? Let's just talk about even that later that night choices that are made or risks that are taken or the next morning, how you feel, or, you know, the need to do it again. Like it's the same thing. It's the same kind of idea is that yes, yelling at someone may stop them from doing something and you may say, hey, it works, Mm. but what's the long-term implications? And this is always, this is a growth mindset. Like this is like being able to not just um, get something done, but to get something done in a way that's effective for everybody. And also, you know, going back to self-compassion or just compassion overall, when we practice self-compassion, um, we actually release chemicals in our body mm. that make everything feel a little better, that make like that actually help us develop our feelings of self-trust, um, gener- generosity, connectedness. So self-compassion, the ability to go into your heart and say, it's okay, right. it's okay, we'll get through this, actually like stimulates something in your body and mind that can help you get through it. Yeah. Um, one of the stories that Kristen Neff tells in her TED Talk, and we could come up with a million, I'm just using her just so I can bring up her name again so you guys can find her, is she, um, her son uh, is diagnosed with autism, and she tells a story about how she was on an airplane with him, and he starts having a tantrum, and she's like, you know, think about it. You're on an airplane sure. and your child and, you know, people, it doesn't get much more anxious than being on an airplane or going through security, especially kids. when your child may have tantrums because they, you know, they have been diagnosed with autism and he and her son looked old enough where a lot of people were like, why don't you just get your kid under control? Yeah. Like they didn't get have it an together, woman. Right. So she actually walked him to the bathroom and guess what? It was, you know, occupied. She couldn't get in, oh, yeah. you know. And she said the only thing that saved her in that moment was putting her hand on her heart and saying, I'm with you. Mm. We'll get through this. And she's talking to herself, not to her son. You know, it's okay. I've got you. And guess what that does? That releases a chemical in her body so she can be calmer for him. Yeah. Do you see how this is interconnection? This is the, this is the airplane mask Exactly. Thing, right? And it is. And it's like airplane mask 2.0. Like yeah. it's the next level. It's not just... 
you know, put on your oxygen mask. It's actually take care of yourself. So go on to the next one, Tati. Um, so let me see. So we, do we, did we do common, did common humanity, humanity versus isolation? No. Okay. So common, common humanity, humanity versus isolation. This is my favorite thing to use with um, when I'm doing sex talks with fifth graders and eighth graders is helping them understand how normal things are. Yeah. Meaning, and I know I don't love the word, word normal and I know a lot of people don't. I guess I'm trying to say typical. Sure. Like is when I say things to them like, oh, you know, do you have that voice in your head that tells you you're horrible? And they kind of all look around like, oh, other people have that voice? Or when, you know, they're in eighth grade and it's like, you know, do you feel like you think dark thoughts or think about sexual things that make you, that there's something wrong with you? Because a lot of people do. It's, mm. it's this, you know, running tape or it's this ego or it's this darkness that we all have and it's okay. Yeah. And the more that we can accept it and understand it, the, the, the uh, less we'll fear it. Because the fear is what drives us into shame. I have a weird example, and this might be, I might be an outlier on this, but okay. when I was learning how to drive, I would always worry about like just either accidentally or purposely just turning into opposing traffic coming the other way. Sure. Like just literally doing something very um, opposite of what normal human do. behavior, which is keep yourself safe. Right. And I thought like, oh, well, once I get driving a while, then that will go away. To this moment, like if I'm going on Highway 20, I'm always like, what if I just did right, that? Right. Is that a no? Oh, yeah. It's one of the most common. Like I, I hear about that in therapy okay. all the time. So you're completely okay. in the norm. Yeah. So right there, common humanity. Right. And and people may think, well, that's so scary that he thinks that. He's not saying he's going to do it. Right. His brain has this like little weird this glitch. little thing where he thinks about it. And the more he thinks, I'm talking about you like you're not here. The more you think there's something wrong with you, the more that fear takes hold mm -hmm. and the more likely it is that you will somehow get in in like alignment with it yeah. and make a poor choice. Yeah. And it, or it'll show up in other ways. Correct. So the more normal it's you- It's so normal. Well, and when I'm coaching guys, like, you know, they have feelings of inadequacies with their wife or their career or whatever. And I'm like, dude- Welcome to the club. Yes. yes. And that's that's like almost the first thing I ever say to right. anybody who shares anything that they're challenged by. Right. And this is where vulnerability comes into play is, you know, vulnerability has its own pendulum, meaning sometimes we're sharing too much and we don't really need to. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, everyone who goes online and is like, I need to tell you all about everything that happened today. We don't need people to be sharing in such a way that it's TMI. Yeah. But what I think about is vulnerability is here's an experience I had. And here's something I want to share out loud because I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. Um, I know we've talked about this before because it impacted you and I so much, but um, so many things have impacted us with people who are brave to come out, you know, if it's like a football player yeah. who comes out um, and says he's gay. Or I remember when Mackenzie Phillips went on Oprah and said that she had had an incestuate, that her father yeah. had, um, I, I don't want to say it was, because she, she started by saying it was a consensual relationship and Oprah's like, that's not consensual well, because She didn't know the definition she didn't, of consent. Exactly. Um, but, she, you know, she had had a sexual relationship with her father. And I remember you and I watching that going, she just saved so many people because that's just not something people Same talk as about. Miller. Oh my God, Chanel Miller, exactly. Who the the Stanford um, 
uh, rape case. And I'm only calling it that because that's how people recognize yeah. it. It's really her story. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing is when people say no, me too, hashtag me too, then we recognize the common humanity. Yeah. The final thing that I always say to my, I say this to my college students when we're talking about emotional intelligence and to anybody. There is nothing you're, that you have felt that someone else hasn't felt. There is nothing you've experienced that someone else hasn't experienced. There is, there is no fear that you've had that another person hasn't carried. Like you are not alone. And we were so afraid. Our greatest fear is being rejected. And I don't mean rejected like just by a loving relationship. I mean just rejected by society because we are neurobiologically, we are hardwired to be in packs, to be connected. Yeah. Like we can't survive without each other. Evolutionary, yeah. So it's no wonder that our greatest fear is to be rejected from a society, yeah. right? I mean, this goes back to anthropology, yeah. you know? And so it- un Social creatures. Social creatures. So that's common humanity. So just a time check. It's nine o'clock. Right, so we got 10 minutes, right. just so you know. I got it. Um, and one last thing, and then maybe we'll go in another direction, or I could say the third thing is, on my men's retreat that I do every year, just the last few years, we there's a there's a, a few hours where we open up about sexuality and intimacy, and it's as a guy that stuff is never gets covered in my judgment, and I have some wonderful male friendships, but the only safe place for me to talk about that stuff is at the retreat, and I say that just because, you know, everything that I have felt, everybody else like yep, yep, or like you know. In so many, so I guess I'm just reinforcing what you're what you're talking about is, and that's and that's the thing is if you don't have a group or a friend or a therapist or a parent to talk to about these things, you really do walk around thinking you're the only one. Yeah, you're in your head. You are, and the things that I've shared now. As like, so something I used to do as a kid that I thought was really weird, and this is just something I feel that's easy to share, is I used to, I think part of my anxiety was I would count beats on my fingers, and if I wouldn't end up on my pinky, then it would like make me really anxious, and I would count beats till I got to my pinky. And I, sh I was sharing that uh, at one point in front of one of my daughter's friends, and she said, oh, me too. Mm -hmm. She said, you did that? Mm -hmm. And I said, and I still do sometimes, but I don't have the same like anger. If yeah. I don't end up on my pinky, it's almost become a habitual like thing I do on the steering wheel. Yeah. I just count on my fingers. And she's like, oh my God, I do that too. And I really think it relieved pressure for her. No doubt. Where she was like, oh, and this is what we do. Like we have ways that we manage energy and it's not a bad, weird thing. There's not something wrong with us. We just have these ways. And again, if it gets into a dark place where we're hurting ourselves or hurting others, then we need support right. so we can find other ways. Right. So yes, there are things that can be harmful, but counting beats on your finger does not make you weird. Well, what I want to do, um, so I'm on the selfcompassion.org website, which is Kristen Neff's website, which okay. is really good. She has seven different exercises you could do. I'm just going to choose one real quick. Okay. So think of a situation in your life that's difficult. And she has four mantras, or maybe it's only three. Let me see. And th so this is just me giving giving any listener like, okay, think of something. And these are what she says. Now say to yourself, this is a moment of suffering. Mm, okay. Accept it. Mm -hmm. Accept it. And she has a few other like, or you can say this hurts or ouch, or mm -hmm. this is stress. Yeah. Number two, suffering is a part of life. Sure. That's common humanity. Other options include other people feel this way. Yep. I'm not alone. Yep. We all struggle in our lives. And then last one is may I be kind to myself. Yes. Or may I give compassion to myself? Or may I forgive myself? So if you don't pull anything out of this podcast other than these three things, this is a moment of suffering. 
Suffering is a part of life. May I be kind to myself. And I think that everybody can kind of find their own, like one thing that I have found over the last 10 or 15 years is that when I am in struggle and I can be really lost in it for a while, like don't, don't be hard on yourself either. If it takes you a while to recognize self-compassion might be a good tool because sometimes we get lost in our own mind and body and then we're like, oh, wait. I can use self-compassion. And as we're using it, what I have found is helpful is what I know for sure now, and I know this for sure, is whenever I'm struggling or I'm in fear or I'm in terror, not only is it good information for me to help other people with my experience, it's something I can write about. It's something that propels me into a deeper awareness of myself. So in no way do I get excited or try and create suffering. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. But when it is happening, I think to myself, you'll use this, Kathy. Yeah. You'll use this. And don't be afraid of it. Like, learn from it so you can share with people about it. And that's and share you know, in an intimate setting like my office with one other or on this show or through writing because that not only does that relieve the pressure on ourselves, but it offers somebody else a rope. So, no doubt. Um, so anyway, let's go to the last one. Last but not least, mindfulness versus over-identification. So mindfulness, just mindfulness. Don't get caught up. Over-identification means kind of being lost and not yeah. recognizing the present moment. Right. You know what I mean? Like, mind, just take it as this is happening right now. It's not the truth about always. It's not who I am completely. I'm going to be present with this and deal with this. Do the, you know, I always think about it, do the next right thing. Well, and I don't know if this is going to make sense, but our daughter had a challenging morning this morning and I thought about like, okay, let's talk about the end of the day. And I didn't even go there uh-uh. because she has some after school activities. Uh-huh. And She's I busy. know if I would have said that, uh-huh. it would have drained her. Right. So I was, I didn't say anything. There was nothing I was going to say. No. I, I drove her to school and I didn't say anything and I just allowed her to kind of be in this moment without talking about what was happening later on in the day. And that's the thing is what the reason why we talk about later in the day or aren't you excited about Disney World in December? Yeah. No, they're yeah. not because in this moment. Because I'm driving to school right now. Right. And that is a very childlike understanding is because they're more present. Like we live in these places where we get excited for Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't feel that way anymore, but there's a lot of people who hate Monday through Friday yeah. who only live for two days out of the week. And so we try and push that on our kids and say, Every day sucks. Just get excited for Saturday. That's not a great way to live. Instead, it's, can you see this? Can I support you in this moment? And here's the other thing. Todd was, we both were empathetic to her being so tired this morning. Mm -hmm. You don't have to talk your kids out of it. You don't have to say, oh, well, you shouldn't be tired. Well, you should have gone to bed earlier. Or, you know, this is your fault. Or you're stressed about a test and you didn't study. You should have studied harder so you wouldn't be stressed. Doesn't help at all. No. It it helps you feel justified and righteous. It helps you feel like you're solving the problem. Helps you feel in control. But you are not helping them. All you need to do in that moment is be like, oh, tired. I understand tired. And I know you'll think to yourself, but then I'm letting her, and I'm putting this in quotes, get away with it. Yeah. Don't you have mornings where you're tired? Yeah. And what if someone was saying to you, as you got up, you shouldn't be tired. Right. We, we think we can somehow control our children's like human experiences by shaming them out of them. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. What you are teaching children through being compassionate to them when they're having a, a tough morning 
is how to, you're creating a tape in their mind of how to be compassionate toward themselves. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? We replay what we experience. So if what we're getting every day is shame and guilt and you're too lazy or you're not doing enough or I wish you worked harder, that will be beca- that will become their inner monologue yeah. as adults. Um, so instead, and you also don't need to pity them and you also don't need to walk them through everything. You can just empathize. Do you know, I mean, I was very hands off. I was like, Oh, you're exhausted. Well, I'm going to get in the shower. Mm-hmm. I'll see you after school. I'll text you. You know, like there's there's nothing I can do yeah. for her, but I can feel for her. Right. Quit trying to fix right. and instead feel. Exactly. Be empathic. Um, a few things. One is uh, we have a Zen talk on Tuesday, October 29th. Uh-huh. We just had one last week, and we talked about sensory issues and phone privacy. Yes. That was Zen Talk number 67. So if anybody wants to join the team, they have 67 podcasts that they can jump into before the next Zen Talk. We also have uh, authors that come on with us. Um, Discount on the conference. So I don't know, because I'm always trying to find a deal, I would just join Team Zen for a month just to get the discount off the conference, see what happens. And then you might end up loving Team Zen and finding this community that's beautiful. Plus, it just supports the podcast. So if you're into just kind of like blindly supporting something that you uh, believe in, that would would also be available too. You just said blindly supporting, but it wouldn't be blind. It would be unblinding, sweetie. Okay, good. I'm just making that up. I don't even think that makes any sense. Okay. Um, Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald-headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicago area. I'm actually having him do some work right now. So uh, it's avidco.net. Um, I feel like there's something else. Do we want to promote anything else, sweetie, before we sign off? Or do you um, want to say anything else about this uh, this podcast? About, about, uh, all I'll say is that I can direct you to a whole bunch of information yeah. um, that uh, write, Kristen Neff. Yeah, I'm going to write this down and I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Her last name is spelled N-E-F-F. She has a TED Talk from several years ago. She has, um, you know, she's done many talks since then. She has a website all focused around self-compassion. She just did a podcast uh, with Dan Harris. Dan Harris. And I'll include that on the show notes too. And where they talked about this uh, and Dan kind of shared. For an hour and a half. Yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah, because Dan Harris is very challenged yes, with self-compassion. Is. So yes, she is. really helped him. And, you know, this is, please know that it's a practice. It's not something you get or don't get. We all get it cognitively. But how do we practice it is the key. Yeah. Uh, Pretty in Pink this Wednesday. Uh-huh. Pop culturing, everybody. Pop culturing. See you guys later. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing Podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen Talks through the Team Zen podcast app. Zen Parenting Conference 2020 is February 28th and 29th. We'll be discussing sex ed, gender, anxiety, neurodiversity, and healthy relationships. Go to zenparentingconference.com to get your tickets. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. And while you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. 
If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the support us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. And guys, I have a one-on-one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. You want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationships with loved ones? We can talk in person, phone, FaceTime, you choose. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.